banded together by a mutual yearning for the more simplistic times and random fun of the comic books of yesteryear. Alec Berry and Scott Gardner now travel back. Back to the bins! Hello and welcome back to Back to the Bins. This is our second episode. I'm your co-host, Scott Gardner. And I'm Alec Berry. And we are going to get right into our second episode. Each of us will review. Yeah, each of us will be reviewing one uh, comic that we acquired uh, recently and wanted to talk about. So take it away, Alec. All right. Well, this one isn't actually a, an original printing, but it's a it's a reprint. Um, I think probably the original printing would be either pretty hard to find or just pretty expensive, or both. Um, but it is, it's from Cerebus Bi-Weekly, and it's a reprint of issue two, Captive and Boralin. And, uh, you know, Cerebus, a little history on Cerebus, it's a Dave Sim, uh, it's pretty much, I think, synonymous and legendary to basically any book, any comic book fan, uh, done by artist and writer Dave Sim, who really took... Uh, 300 issues over a span of about 20 years, and uh, really he began the series, as I see in this uh, reprint, as sort of just a a parody on sort of the barbarian, sort of of like Conan the Barbarian type of genre, and uh, really developed it it into his his own voice on political and religious issues in in the later part of the series. But um, with this issue, like I said, reprint of issue two, you basically get the full uh, basic of the reprint. You get all the ads. You get all the letter pages and all of that uh, good stuff. But the basic idea of the story is Cerebus, who is a basically like a two-and-a-half-foot aardvark, which is pretty kind of funny for a character, really comes off as a badass. <laughs> as a, he's, a, he's basically he's a mercenary. He's walking with a group of barbarians. He's traveling with them. Uh, he basically drinks all his money away. Uh, he's not afraid to kill. He can be pretty harsh. And uh, as he's traveling through this valley, his group of barbarians that he's traveling with is attacked in a gorilla style. They're all killed. Cerebus is about being is getting ready to be taken captive, but he talks the rival group into letting them work with him. So he does that. They continue to travel. Uh, well, no, there's a fight scene before they actually let him join the group with uh, one of their barbarians, and basically Cerebus kicks the crap out of him and kills the guy. And uh, they let him join, they travel, and eventually this group is attacked by a uh, zombified version of barbarians, and they're all killed. Cerebus finds himself in pretty uh, hostile battle and uh, ends up diving from a pretty high snowbank into a cavern uh, below the earth. And in this cavern, he, you know, it's kind of, it's an ancient cavern. There are hieroglyphics on the walls. There are statues. And he finds a, uh, a precious gem known as the Eye of Terran. Cerebus wants to steal this because it's probably worth a lot and it's more booze money. <laughs> so he tries to sneak it out and find his way out of this ca- cave. It's a pretty heavy object as he struggles with it. And eventually, uh, he finds that some supernatural entity lives within it. It seeks to steal souls, and as it tries to steal Cerebus' soul, it discovers that he does not have one. And uh, so he is, he's released from the control of this uh, monster, and he basically pops back into reality. And, but it, by him defeating this uh, entity, 
he releases all of the souls that it has captured previously. And uh, from there, he sort of just, he leaves, he, he walks on his way to exit the valley into the dark, uh, starry night. I, I really liked this. It You know, I've always heard of Cerebus and Dave Sim and kind of its place in comic book history and independent publishing. This was just a lot of fun for me. Artwork-wise, I think, you know, uh, I mentioned it last episode that, I'm really kind of into more storytelling, uh, strong artwork, and Dave Sim definitely shows in this that he's a master of that. But definitely, he had he still has his own style, so that was that was just a plus for this. I really like how he writes it. It's you know, Cerebus never talks in this. It's all either his thought balloons or it's pure narration. And I think I, I like comics like that that they have strong storytelling panel to panel, but then. The, the writer still goes to the length to narrate just to make sure that you know what's happening. And then it, you can add such description through the narration that kind of just brings the story to life. So I really like that about the story. You know, again, this was just a really fun uh, kind of one-and-done story. Uh, the character of Cerebus is he, – he's really just kind of an interesting guy. I mean, <laughs> an interesting aardvark at that. I mean, you think he would be kind of a lighthearted sort of character, but really he's – I mean, you kind of see in the story that he doesn't have a soul to be stole, stolen, so clearly he's not the lighthearted guy that you would think from kind of just taking a first glance. And I really like that about this book, and I don't know, this, this was really good, and it really has me interested to track down, especially the later issues of Cerebus, and really sort of see uh, what Dave Sim has under his sleeve. Yeah, it's weird. I've you know I've never had any exposure at all to to Cerebus, and it's so bizarre. You know, I I've got you know so many comics and been reading comics for so many years. I, I would think that somewhere along the line I would have read you know odd issue of the series or a guest appearance somewhere or what, but I've never had any exposure. But I you know I'm I've always been curious about it, and I hear such good things. I I've got. Uh, friends that have told me, you know, oh, you know, you would totally love this, you know, it'd be right up your alley and all. So one of these days, I've got to check out, you know, some some of that Cerebus style, at least you know, like the first uh, the first trade or something like that. But I just have never never gotten to any of that. I know I looked up on the wiki; all 300 issues have been collected into like a long series of trades. So they're definitely out there, and I, I would like to check them out eventually. And I also know that uh, Lenny Cooper, Seatowner from the Comic Forums, is a big sort of uh, – he's a big supporter of Cerebus. And I think he actually – he may know Dave Sim on some level because I know he's always kind of out promoting Cerebus in a way. So he would be kind of the guy, I think, even for, you know, for me or for you to kind of talk to and figure more – figure kind of where to go because I, I, I really do – you know, being a comic fan and really loving the medium, I think, I don't know, I think I have this compelling urge to kind of read Cerebus and really kind of, just really kind of take an observation of it and really kind of try to understand it. Because I think it, you know, from looking it up, I mean, it was 300 issues of just Dave Sim really kind of progressing his art style throughout the, sto throughout the run, really just experimenting with a lot of different themes. So I think it would just be kind of a very interesting thing to look for and to read in a comic book. But it's also, um, you know, Dave Sim was a large supporter of creator rights, especially later in the run of Cerebus. I guess I goes back to my image love, but Spawn number 10, Dave Sim wrote it and Cerebus uh, popped up in that. 
and it's it's really just a, it's a great one and done issue kind of Cerebus giving <laughs> Cerebus Dave Sim giving his uh, approval of basically Image as a company because of you know what they do for creators. I mean, it wasn't you know anything too deep. It was just a one and done kind of adventure story. But there's something there that's dragging me in, and I just wanted to discover more. So, what do you got, Scott? Okay, the one that I've got is, uh, this is an odd one for me. I, I picked this up totally on a whim. Um, there's, uh, in, in a town adjacent to where I live, there's a, a little place there um, that sells uh, new and used books. And they have uh, a big selection of, like, graphic novels and trade paperbacks and all these kind of things. And every once in a while, they, they get some used ones in there. Not usually anything I'm terribly interested in because I don't really do trades or anything like that. But, you know, I still I like to peruse just to see what they might have in there. I'd never seen one of these books before, and it caught my eye for the subject matter, but also for the talent that was on it. And it was dirt cheap, and I thought, what the heck, I've got to check this out. This is, and I'm not sure, I could not find any sort of uh, indicia in here to tell exactly what the name of this thing is. So I'll just tell you what the cover says it's Osprey Graphic History, and it's numbered on the spine as number eight. This is called Ironclads at War, the Monitor versus the Merrimack. That alone interested me because, you know, I, I, I always am you know, interested in, like, Civil War history and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not, like, a buff about it or anything, but, you know, I'm always interested, you know, in a, in a good tale set in that time. But what really grabbed me was the talent on this. The author of the book is Dan Abnett, who, you know, has done work on, like, uh, Legion of Superheroes and X-Men and stuff. And I think I think he had something to do with, like, the Annihilation yeah, thing over he, he's, 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 uh, I think him and Andy Lanning, they were big on Annihilation. Mm -hmm. he's the current, they're the current writers on Nova, and they're doing War of Kings. So, yeah, he's got his big stint with the cosmic side of marvel yeah anything that those two do together abnett and lanning you know is usually really good stuff so he was the author on this and then the artist is uh ron uh wagner who i've seen some of his stuff um it lists here that he worked on batman superman gi joe punisher i think he also did some dark horse star wars stuff too if i'm not mistaken but that's not listed in here for some reason but anyway I really enjoyed this. You know, it, it was an interesting uh, – it, it's basically a, a, an historical comic. It, it has about about six pages at the beginning that basically lays out, you know, who the players are, what the scenario is, what led up to – you know, in history, what led up to the point that you're about to read about, um, where the United States was at the time and where, you know, where in the course of – history the the war was at when this takes place and then it gets right into the story you know then you know the the, the first part is a text piece with you know actual pictures of the people and places and things like that and then you know you get to the eighth page in and it becomes a comic book story and the art is just beautiful you know the the people are a little stiff but it's the the art of the actual, you know, the ships at sea and, you know, the ironclads, you know, coming into the battle and then the actual battle sequences of, you know, ships ramming each other and, you know, these great, you know, wooden ships coming in and giving a broadside to uh, the Merrimack, you know, trying to trying to defend themselves against this, 
you know, new mysterious enemy that, you know, seems impervious to, to all of their weapons and everything. And I just got a real kick out of it. I, I thought it was really cool. And strangely, I, I think if you like Star Trek, I think you'd really get a kick out of this. Cause I'm a, I'm a big Star Trek fan. And part of the appeal with Star Trek is, you know, it has that nautical feel to the, to the battles in Star Trek, you know, when these giant ships, you know, come in and they, they fight very much in this style of, you know, of the old warships, you know, where they'd come in and, you know, give them a broadside and all that kind of thing. And that's how this whole battle is fought with these, you know, these great big ships, you know, because the, the whole first day of this battle, you know, the, the Merrimack came in and totally surprised, uh, surprises the Union fleet. Basically, it's an indestructible juggernaut that just tears into the Union fleet sinks a bunch of ships, kills a lot of people, and it's not till the second day that the Monitor even was able to show up to the battle. And then once the Monitor shows up on the second day, you know, that's when the battle really kicks in, where suddenly you've got two, you know, one-of-a-kind ships, you know, that, that are facing each other for the first time in history. You know, it literally, the entire history of naval warfare changed on this day. You know, the, the, the wooden ships were suddenly obsolete, and you've got these giant armored monsters facing each other and just, you know, blowing the holy hell out of each other, trying to, you know, they're nose to nose, each trying to sink each other. And it's done very dramatically in the in the comic. You know, the art's fantastic, and it just, it, it's paced really well. And it, it just, it's like, you know, when, when history is done well to me, you know, it, it's done well when you feel like, you know, you're invested in the story. You know, you come to care about the players, and, and it feels real, and it feels realistic rather than just, you know, some dry history book. You know, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Well, this isn't like that. This is very alive. You know, it's very much a story that you can sink your teeth into and you're like, wow, that's really cool. And people live and die. And it's just exciting. You really get into the story. So I think they pulled it off very well. And there's even a little aftermath section, you know, that tells, you know, what eventually became of both of the ships from the battle. There's a little glossary, you know, in case you're not up on your nautical terms. There's a little, you know. For further reading about, you know, the Civil War and the ships and stuff like that, there's a little section. And then they have a little plug for all their other books. And they have a lot of other uh, graphic uh, history books that cover things like the Battle of Antietam, the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, and then some World War II stuff, you know, the Battle of Pearl Harbor, Iwo Jima, Midway. So, you know, it looks like they mostly focus on, you know, war books that are set either in the Civil War or in World War II. So, I mean, if I ever come across any of these other ones, I might check them out and, uh, some of the other ones have writing by uh, Larry Hama, who worked on, you know, a lot on G.I. Joe. It looks like uh, Wagner does a lot of the art in the other ones. And, there, you know, there's other writers and artists, some of whom I recognize and some that I don't, that work on these other books. So I think I paid like five bucks for this. And it's uh, it's not like a trade. It's more like what you would call like the prestige format books, you know, kind of like your Dark Knight Returns when they came out in the individual issues. This is about the same size as like one issue of Dark Knight Returns or, uh, or you know, any of those prestige format books of like the 80s and 90s, like uh, Gotham, Gotham by Gaslight or something like that. It's about the same, same size as that, about the same thickness, you know, it takes about the same length of time to read. Um, but I, I, I got a real kick out of it. I thought it was very well done for something that, uh, you know, typically 
history books are just kind of dry and boring, and this wasn't. This was actually pretty exciting. It gives it gives a face to an actual event opposed to like just cold textbook text. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's very much how this felt. It it put a face. It, it let you see it. You know, as if you were there, and that—that's when history is done really well to me. Is when they when they do it that way. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool, and it was well worth my time. I like the idea of it. Yeah, I wouldn't mind reading a few of those books myself, especially sort of the World War II era stuff. I think even if uh, if we were going to name like creators we'd like to see take on sort of projects like that, I think Chuck Dixon would do a great job with a World War II type of story. Yeah, yeah, he would be a good choice. Well, this is like, uh, it reminded me somewhat, although I haven't read a whole heck of a lot of Classics Illustrated, it has very much that Classics Illustrated type of feel where they're really trying to, to bring it to life and, and get people interested in, in something rather than just, you know, the, the dry textbook presentation. And, uh, and I enjoyed it for that reason. Sounds cool. Well, I think that's another one in the can. up another episode of Back to the Bins. Warm thank you to everyone who joined in and listened. Have any feedback, good or bad, please email the show at backtothebins at gmail.com. Back to the Bins is an Alec Berry, Scott Gardner production, copyright 2009. Join us again next time and we will go back, back to the bins.